our Lord, we admit, we confess to you that we are tired people. And so in these moments of silence, we ask that you would quiet us and still us and begin to do the work of restoration in us. Remind us, O Lord, that you are our shepherd and that we have all that we need. You let us rest in green meadows and you lead us beside peaceful streams. You renew our strength and you guide us along the paths that are right for us that we may bring honor to your name. And even when we walk through the darkest of valleys, we don't have to be afraid because we know we are reminded that you are very close beside us. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort us. And you prepare a feast right in the presence of our enemies. You honor us. You affirm us. You remind us that we are chosen by anointing our head with oil. And our cups overflow with blessing. Remind us, Lord, of the truth that your goodness and your unfailing love will indeed pursue us all the days of our lives. And that we have been given the gift of living in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Uh, I want to greet you in the strong and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors. And I want to invite our kids who are kindergarten through fifth grade to head downstairs for our children's sermon. Pastor Hope is in the back. She's waving at us. Everybody can turn and wave back if you want. And uh, if you are... Kindergarten through fifth grade, you are welcome to head downstairs. If you are a guest here this evening, I want to just extend a special welcome to you. This is a sacred place, and it is fun to be a part of this community. If you're looking for a church home in a community, we invite you to be a part of this one. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Leviticus, which is very early on in your Bible. And I have some friends who have Bibles. If you would like a Bible, just raise your hand. Somebody will bring you a Bible, and you can have this as your own, or you can just borrow it for the evening if you'd like. But I invite you to turn to Leviticus chapter 25. It's not often that you hear a sermon out of the book of Leviticus. In fact, it's my very first one. So as we uh, finish in this God is Green series, we want to look at some ancient texts And uh, we want to work our way through what it means to live as God's people in the world. So I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word from Leviticus chapter 25. So hear the word of the Lord from this ancient text. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year, and don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines." 
the land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents. Some translations say the aliens and foreigners among you who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So if there is anything that I've been trying to communicate, for, if you don't know, for the last several weeks we've been in a series called God is Green. And if there's anything that I've been trying to communicate with you during this series, it is this. It's that, it is that we have a far deeper relationship with the, with the created order and the things in it than we could ever realize. All good things hold the imprint of the divine. Scientists call this an ecological connection. Barbara Brown Taylor calls it the luminous web. The Lion King and Elton John call it the circle of life. Richard Rohr calls it the connection with the universal Christ. The, early, the mystics of early Christianity argued this, they argued this idea that, that all of creation is this intricate design of connectivity. And each individual part is dependent on and is interdependently connected to the whole. It's what I would call a a significant, grace-filled, sacramental relationship. And the one that holds it all together is what the early church followers, uh, the early church fathers called the cosmic Christ. The firstborn, the one who holds all creation together. The one who is transcendent, that is, that is the one who is beyond the range of normal or merely physical experience, and the one who is at the very same time imminent, who is of God, but is, is uh, permanently pervading and sustaining the universe at every moment. The cosmic Christ is this one that is over the universe and is one that is of the earth. And from this one flows this, this ministry of great work that actually connects all good things together. The ancient Jews called it shalom, but Christians call it grace. For, for a thousand years, the best way that Christians could describe God was in this way. They said, God is a holy dance. God is a dance of conversation, a dance of wonder, a dance of love. They had a word for it. The word was perichoresis. Perichoresis comes from two different words. Choresis, which means to dance. It's where we get our word choreography. And the word peri, which means to move around or to circle. You could say that God is a divine dance, father, son, and spirit. The great circle dance of love. So when you and I take a picnic, or go on a walk, or we ride our bikes, or we sit to read a good book, or we talk to God in prayer, or we read the Bible, or we journal, or we recycle, reduce, and reuse, when we purposefully read the Holy Scriptures and the book of holy creation, when we're thoughtful about our purchases, or our food, or our resources, we are engaging in the holy circle dance of God. And the great work of the circle dancing God is it it connects us to one another. 
And the great work of this divine dance actually connects us to the earth itself. Now, I've, I've heard theologians talk about this a lot. I've, I've actually taken classes on it where, where I've heard it explained, broken down, discussed, where we've tried to memorize and learn the doctrine. But, but I'll be honest with you, I've never understood this fully until, until honestly, I was introduced to it by a Buddhist of all people. So over the last couple of years, I've been able, I've been invited to sit in a class of college students to learn under the brilliance of our very own Dr. Paul Jones. He teaches this, uh, this class called Psychology of Religion, and as a community of, uh, a community of le- learners, students study the religious experience and behavior of individuals and faith communities from, this, from a psychological point of view. So because the class is mostly made up of students who are from Oklahoma, which means they mostly have a Christian evangelical background, not all of them, but most of them, other faith leaders are invited to share their religion and to come in and share their, their worldview. So Dr. Paul invites leaders from local synagogues and mosques. Students learn about Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, Judaism, Sikhism. Our students are, are exposed even then to different and various forms of Christian communities and the different perspective of those different Christian communities. And one of the classes that I've enjoyed most has been led by this former Air Force officer whom we endearingly refer to as Buddhist Dave. Buddhist Dave is fabulous. Buddhist Dave talks to us about the origins of Buddhism and he spends an hour or so posing philosophical questions to the students in the class. He is so gracious to us because we get to ask all of our questions no matter how elementary they may seem. And as a part of Buddhist Dave's lesson, he actually poses a question and he'll hold up a water bottle in front of us and he'll ask this question, is the water bottle full or is it empty? What do you all think? Is the water bottle full or is it empty? Now some who are optimists in the class, well they want to say, well obviously the water bottle is it's half full. While the pessimists like me, sorry, the pessimists like me, uh, no, no, the bottle is, it's half empty. But that's not the question that Buddhist Dave is asking. Buddhist Dave is not interested in pop psychology. He's into something far deeper. He didn't ask if the bottle was half full or half empty. He asked if the bottle was full or the bottle was empty. It's either way full, he says. It's either full or it's all the way empty. Which one is it? And as you can imagine, there's this sense of struggle and this sense of misunderstanding that shows up on the faces of the students, which Buddhist Dave just loves. Because then he gives him space to be able to make his argument. And he'll hold it up and he'll say, friends, can't you see it? This bottle is entirely full. In fact, he says, it's full of everything in the universe. Think about it. Think about it for just a moment and you'll be able to see it. All things, every thought, every idea, the very earth itself, all things had to come together to agree together. All the elements had to come cooperate together so that, yes, behold before you is 
a water bottle. The very fabric and genius of the universe actually had to come together so that you and I could actually hold this in our hands. Oh, we're extra confused now at this point. But then he says, think about it. You wouldn't have a water bottle if the crustaceous paleogene extinction event hadn't taken place. You know that that event that you learned about in the first grade where there was this sudden mass extinction of three quarters of the planet and all animal species on earth approximately 66 million years ago happened? You know that, that, that lesson that you learned where scientists believe that a massive comet, maybe 10 or 15 kilometers wide, like six to nine miles wide, hit the planet causing a winter that halted the process of photosynthesis in plants and plankton? You know, in, your water, in the water bottle you hold in your hand, this, this asteroid comes and it, it, creates, uh, it creates an ice age movement that destroys things on the planet. And in the water bottle you hold in your hand, you're, co- you're connected to space and asteroids and dinosaurs. It's like Star Wars and Jurassic Park li- live inside here. It's all contained in this water bottle. And I, by this time, I'm still scratching my head. And he, com- he continues, you know, the environmental shifts that took, that, that took a thousand years, thousands of years, that created the pressure to took those extinct bodies and plants, it took to create the oil, it's, it's in here. Or the fact that somebody came along and they developed a system by which we can count and, and do math, where they take symbols, just a few symbols, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine. Somebody invented that, and that is in here. Somebody came along from a different culture, and that is in here. Somebody invented the zero. Nothing is in here. There are zeros in this water bottle. Oh, man, how awesome. It, 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 it just is amazing what is in this water bottle. Think about it. There would be no water bottle if people didn't come up with a way to work the earth so that oil could be made, oil could be extracted from it, and oil could be made useful. Think about it. If somebody had not come up with mathematics, or chemistry, or physics, things that I just, I really don't know nothing about, they had to come up with those things, because to extract the oil, then then they had to make the plastic or the engineering that it took to make the machines capable to extract that oil from the ground or the ingenuity and invention that it took to make the machines that made the machines that could make the extractor or the materials like the water that is here in this water bottle and the purification systems that all had to come together and the ingenuity behind that and the people that protected the resources that are water so that so that it never got poisoned, or the process of evaporation, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, that is transformed as we watch it come in rain, and then in gas, and then in liquid. These things that were pulled from the earth. He said not only that, but then there are laborers, people who went to work, that worked in a factory to box it, and then the economic know-how that it takes for individuals to put together the water bottle company and the print shop that was able to have the ingenuity to mark New Life Ranch on this water bottle, to stamp it right on here, or the gravity that it takes to hold this whole thing together. 
I mean, it's infinite. What is in this water bottle? I would argue that this is what the mystics call the great work of the universe. It's, it's right before us here today, and it gives me the ability to hold this water bottle and carry this water bottle and drink from this water bottle. It's like, a con- it's like a conversation of all things in the universe and all things on the earth. It's a combination of all those things coming together to keep me alive. It's like all of the elements and the concepts and the mysteries of the world coming together. It's a big bang of sorts. It's a trinity dance of sorts. And it's presented to me and to you. This water bottle that I hold here in the present actually connects us to a whole past. And to toss it or waste it or not consider it, consider the mystery of it, might, might just be a sin. You know, I, I think that sin is that thing that, I think sin is that which keeps our eyes and our hearts and our minds from being wide open to our connection to the luminous web, to the circle of life, to the triune dance. Sin somehow says you're above all that. And, and that's why sin is so disgusting. It's why it's so heinous. It's why it's so difficult. It's a type of violence to the heart. It's always tempting us to believe, I don't need to participate in the mystery of where things came from. I'm going to use what I want whenever I want for whatever I want. There's a violence that is committed towards the planet, and a violence, and, and, and violence committed towards the planet is an unraveling of the created order. It just messes the whole thing up. Sin actually wrecks the dance. But if we consider the mystery in things and and we understand the connecting source of that mystery, the one that Paul says is in all and through all, the cosmic Christ, then we find that we are actually connected to things and to one another like other life forms and other humans in a deeper kind of way. The recognition that we are a part of a circle of life held together by the cosmic Christ is what we call worship. And we Christians worship Christ in all things. And if this water bottle holds the mysteries of the universe, then I would also argue that who you are and who I am is rooted in those same kinds of mysteries. I think that's what Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. It was somehow to make us aware of the connection that we have that the economic and the political and the environmental factors that are in place so that we might have bread to sustain our life comes from him. When we find that, when we, when we think about and we pray, God, give us, or Jesus, give us today our daily bread, it's a way for us to connect with something deeper. It's a way for us to connect with the farms and the families it's also a way for us to connect with the rains and the seasons. It's a way for us to stay in tune with what is happening around us. It's a way for us to just say how desperately dependent we are on this God. 
Your story and my story, like this water bottle, is full of the essence of creation and is rooted in the greater story of the great work of the universe. And so most of our time is is about going about the world and it's about doing good work in ways that continues to connect us all and connect us to the great word to the great work of God. And and that's important because it gives us perspective. And so we do our work with this perspective in mind. But we've been given a gift and the gift is the book of Leviticus. Now People don't usually want to read the book of Leviticus because they think it's boring or chauvinistic or homophobic. But do you know what the book of Leviticus is really about? It's about a way in which an ancient community that has been emancipated from slavery cares about one another during their reconstruction after that slavery. In other words, the book of Leviticus is this book about how we care for one another. And the centerpiece of the new way of living for this ancient community was called Sabbath rest. And Sabbath rest is the invitation to participate while we recognize all that is involved in this and while we recognize all that is involved in our making, Sabbath rest is this way to participate in a deeper awareness of our connection to this earth and to one another. Even the great worker of the universe rested. Sabbath rest is what brings us, what brings health to to the luminous web, to the circle of life. It's the joy of God in the circle dance. So for these former slaves, Sabbath was not about self-care. Self-care has this individualistic and, and sometimes I'll admit much needed tendency to it. But this is about a communal kind of connection. Sabbath rest for these people was the great equalizer for everyone and everything, including the land. It was a restoration, a rejuvenation of people and animals and land. Work six days and then rest the seventh is what the command said. And then Leviticus says, work for six years, but every seventh year, let the land rest. And we know this is agriculture 101. As farmland is watered through irrigation, it leaves sodium and calcium and alkaline substances. But to leave the land to rest on the seventh year reduces those minerals in the soil. And this becomes good for, the law says, for you. And it becomes good for your neighbor. So letting the land rest makes us more aware of our own story and our own connectivity to one another, and our own connection to the land. And letting the land rest keeps us from trying to squeeze more out of the earth than it will allow. It keeps us from driving hard to build huge agricultural empires. In Amos chapter 8, the first thing that the greedy merchants did was they tried to get rid of the Sabbath. They ignored the fact they were connected to the land and the mysteries of the land. They ignored the fact that the soil gets tired. And Leviticus says, you have a relationship with the soil. It's a, kin- it's a kinship. The soil is a part of your story. It makes up who you are. You are of the soil and the soil is of you. So don't exploit it or abuse it. 
land rest is really about this thing that we call sustainability. And it becomes good for all. According to verse 6, it's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the lower class. It's good for the hired workers. It's good for the, for the foreigners on our land. A very interesting thing considering where we are in a, is a country right now. We hear and even maybe even say this phrase constantly. They're coming to take our jobs. And we say this because we don't necessarily believe that we are connected to the land and it is good enough for all of us. So we squeeze more out of it for our own consumption. But Leviticus says, let the land rest because there is enough for all and everyone is connected to it. Let the land rest because it's good for your livestock and even the wild animals. It's good for everyone. So approach the way you, you use the resources as the, of this earth as if it was good for your neighbor. Friends, the earth is is screaming at us for a break right now. I don't know if you know this, 2007, it was 12 years ago. The city of San Francisco did this massive cleanup of the sewer system. That is an idea that is amazing that connects all people. Did you know that the invention of the sewer system is the primary invention that has helped healthcare around the world? From 2000, in 2007, the city of San Francisco did this massive cleanup of their sewer system and it cost nearly $8 million to sweep up plastic bags. You know the Walmart sacks that you throw away? To sweep up plastic bags from the sewer drains. The average American throws away 40 pounds of garbage every single week. We do not consider the mysteries of what we have in our hands. You know, in the story of Israel, they did not treat the earth as, they didn't listen to the book of Leviticus and they didn't treat the earth well and it actually drove them into exile. And it wasn't until they were in exile where they were done squeezing everything out of the land that Second Chronicles tells us that the land was finally able to enjoy its Sabbath rest. All of the all of the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In other words, it, until the people came out of exile, it took that whole time for the land to find its rest again. If God in Christ is the source of all things, the great connector, the mystery of everything that holds us all together, the question becomes for us, how do we, how do we tune into this source? Well, Second Chronicles is also helpful to us because it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Have you ever heard this before? I grew up hearing this text as if it and understanding it as if it was an American patriotic text. Like, let's bring, you know, prayer back in school or something. But now I think it's a creation text that calls us to listen to the holy conversations of holy scripture and holy creation. And it's an invitation to get in on that conversation. It's a way by which we pray and it's a way, it's, a, it's an invitation to find a way to get in on allowing the land to rest. 
And we have not been allowing the earth to rest. We have been acting violently towards the earth, acting as if we're not connected to it in any way, that it only serves us and that we are to exploit it. We have been acting violently through exploitation and waste and progress and greed and consumerism and selfishness. And we've been treating the world in such a way that, that it's unraveling and the fabric of connectivity is unraveling. That's the bad news. But the good news is, if violence in this way unmakes the world, then Sabbath rest unmakes violence. You know, there's some really practical things that we can do as a community to give this land rest. I mean, these are the things that I've been thinking about and and some of the things that we've been adopting as a family. Uh, I told you early on in this series that This is a confession. We don't do this very well, so we're growing in grace, and we invite you to grow in grace. It's just basic stuff to let you and let me let the land rest. Like, turn off the, you know, turn off items when you're not in the room, electricity when you're not in the room. I don't know if you know this, 25% of the energy bill comes from phantom power. You know, when your TV is on and that TV is off, actually, and that little light is still on, it's just invisible power. You and I can add a power strip, and then all of a sudden we get to reduce the amount of power and we get to save money, which is like my favorite thing in the world to do. You know, if we switched out our light bulbs in our whole house, and uh, we each did it, if everybody in America did it, each household, it would be, get, it'd be the equivalent of getting one million cars off the road. That's a lot. That's a way where we can let the land rest. Here's the major thing. We could consume less. We could ask questions when we go into stores. Do we need it? Uh, Is my money being used the very best way here? Could it be used to bring rest to the land or my neighbor? This is not just for individuals or family. This is is for us here at, at our church. One church I heard of wanted to do something great for their poor in their neighborhood. So they had this meeting and they invited, it was a large church. They invited everybody to the meeting and they had dinner to discuss it. And then they, you know, handed out little pieces of paper and they, they made a goal and had people pledge. And the struggle was is that they hadn't raised as much money as they wanted for their project. And so there they were, they were at, after the meeting, they were cleaning up and a group of men realized that they were, they were working against themselves because they were cleaning up after dinner and they were tossing plasticware, plastic silverware, into the, into the garbage. And they realized that they were throwing money into the trash. And then they also put two and two together that their garbage was going to the landfill that was actually next to the community that they were trying to help. So this group of men decided that, they decided that one way they could help their poor neighbors was to start a new ministry. And the new ministry looked like this. Well, they said uh, that they would, from that point forward, be the group that washed all the dishes at every point forward for every event they had. This way they could save the planet and they could also save money. And uh, they wanted the money that they saved to go to, the save from not buying plasticware, to go to the efforts that they were putting forward and they realized that as they did the math, the amount of money that they spent at their church on plasticware actually exceeded the goal that they had and they were trying to get people to pledge. So a small ministry of men washing dishes was able to save the planet and to give away their money. 
you know, if you're not involved some way at our church and just kind of little areas of service, I invite you to get on it because it's menial tasks like this that make the greatest impact. Our church wants to find a way to help the land to rest. So Pastor Andrea has helped us cut down tremendously on the amount of plastic silverware we use during our parties. If you can afford to, maybe this is a way to let the land rest. If you can afford to, use energy-saving appliances. If people could do that, who could afford to, that's like three million cars off the road. I don't know if you know this, four million gallons of gas per day would be saved if everyone would inflate the tires of their car. It's just something real small we all could do. Or, hey, you know, consider driving less. Ask the question, could I walk or ride a bicycle? Or maybe this one will kill some of you. Could I drive slower? <laughs> it's like a big one. That's like a big one for me. The average car costs eight to $10,000 to use for each individual annually. And what would it look like if we made our city more pedestrian-friendly. And I, I, I'm not talking about doing some huge initiative, but I'm talking about maybe just uh, recognize that some people can't drive a car. So slow down when you're around them. Maybe don't judge them. Give them space in the lane. Don't let the road rage that happens to most of us in this heat get to you. And if you can't ride a bike or walk, that's cool. So maybe you should just consider, do I have to drive everywhere? And so immediately, 70% of car rides are less than two miles. And I've kind of made myself a promise. If I can walk, I will. If I can ride my bike, I will. And if I can't, I try to combine errands or go at another time. Because driving just two days a week less saves uh, 1,597 pounds of carbon emission. This is the way, these are the ways in which we get to let the land rest. You could eat locally. Do you know where your food comes from? I mean, if we would all, if we would all in America, if we'd all eat one locally grown meal a week, that would save 800 billion gallons of fuel. Your average meal travels 1,300 miles to get from the farm to the plate. So when you actually eat at a, uh, a restaurant or you participate and you, from farm to table, uh, and it's local, you're doing awesome stuff. You are helping the land rest. One time a few weeks ago, I went out to lunch with Justin Hedges, and he was offered Brussels sprouts. Ugh, I don't like those things. But he, when he was offered Brussels sprouts, when the server talked to him about it, it the, most, almost, the most important part almost got past me. She said, this is the in-season vegetable. Maybe we let the land rest by finding out what the in-season vegetable is and learn how to like that. Here's the big one. And Annabelle, my daughter, says I'm a hillbilly for this one. Dry your clothes on a clothesline. Holly and I have been doing this the last several weeks. Everybody from Moses to Jesus Christ to Abraham Lincoln to my mom dried their clothes on a clothesline. Nobody does that anymore. But we have a natural dryer. I don't know if you know, it's 105 degrees outside. Each time, you, each time you dry your clothes on a line, your, your neighbors might make fun of you, but you're saving the land, you're letting it rest, and you're saving them. Each time you, each time you, dry, your clothes in, you dry your clothes in the line and you save a load in the dryer, you're saving six pounds of coal. 
Less coal means less mountains that have to be blown up and plants and animals displaced or killed, as well as water resources distributed. So maybe give your dryer and your electric bill a rest. And again, I love saving money. Maybe you need to plant flowers. There's this massive bee crisis in the world because of the use of pesticides. I don't know if you know this, but bees are responsible for two-thirds of the world's food resources. You're connected. You're connected to bees. And in fact, the crisis is so great that Walmart has bought the patent on, uh, on AI bees. They've created a robotic bee because they understand the crisis. But they understand even something deeper. Walmart understands that the one who controls the world's food resources controls the world. Paul said this to the Romans. Here's what I want you to do. And do it God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. But instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops, the well-formed, develops well-formed maturity in you. Environmental stewardship, eco-theology is not a partisan issue, but it is political. And as we consider how we are all connected, and we are, it's a mysterious dance. It's a mysterious conversation. We get to lean into the source of that connection, that, and we find that this issue is actually a sanctity of life issue. This is the way in which we consider our world, ourselves, and our neighbor. Now, I said it once, but my confession at the beginning of the series was that I was not green. I did not consider uh, environmental issues I didn't take them very seriously. My my family did not reflect the green God, so we're working through some of this and we're making some changes. And I think by God's help, we're on our way. So I really have wanted in this series to create a sense of awareness. That's it. That's been the goal. It hasn't been to shame anybody. It is to invite and create awareness. It, it's been It's been to invite us to share in this journey together. So there are about a million resources about this, and um, I have several to start with. You can see it on the slide. You might want to pick up Serve God, Save the Planet by Matthew Sleeth, Sleeth or a gospel, uh, The Gospel According to the Earth or An Altar in the World, or uh, you know, Go Green, Save Green, A Simple Guide to Saving Time, Money, and God's Green Earth. I love saving the world, and I love saving money even more. Have you heard that yet? My friend Dave calls me pucker butt. That's going to be online. Maybe you want to read uh, Introducing Evangelical uh, Ecotheology, which is a great book. And then there is a groundswell of Nazarenes that are involved in this discussion. You can find them on Facebook. They have a, converse, they have a conference coming. Their first one is in Flint, Michigan, of all places, this fall. And they're called Nazarenes for Creation Care. I've wanted to create awareness, but maybe even more, I've wanted to create in us a holy imagination. And I've wanted to create in us a way to be involved in holy activities. 
And I've wanted more than anything for you to know that you are wonderfully created and that we are connected in a mysterious and wonderful way to this God and to one another. And before we come to this communion table, I just want to leave you with this one final word. For the last year as a church, we've been trying to cultivate this kingdom imagination And you know that we've been trying to name and then resist the pressures of the empire. We want to be people of joy, people of less stress, people that have more time, that exercise physically, but also exercise our freedoms. We want to be people that love great art, that talk about deep things. And we want to be rescued from greed and indifference. So we work out this question together. What does it mean for us to be good neighbors? And we have been working out that question as we sit on this corner, on the corner of 8th and Lee. And for the last couple of years, we've been asking what it means to be neighbors to a hospital. What does it mean to be good neighbors to a hospital? There's a hospital over here and a hospital here. We're actually neighbors stuck in between two hospitals. And as I've been walking around and riding my bike, I've noticed these amazing places, treatment centers, whether that be a treatment center for cancer or heart disease or obesity, they're these huge, wonderful buildings dedicated to research. But you know what I've been wondering? I've been wondering, where is the cancer prevention building? Where is the heart disease prevention building? Where is the air pollution prevention building? And over the last few weeks, I've begun to realize... It's here. We're in that building. We get to be the ones to think about God. And we get, we get to be the ones that, that recognize that we have sinned and how we've treated the land. And we get to be the ones that allow God to change us and redeem us and through us begin to heal us and our land. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You know Why? for they will inherit the earth. So as our God is green, for the sake of our neighbors and our planet and those who have not yet been born, let us find a way to connect in this way. So as our helpers are getting us, getting ready and preparing the table for us, I want to invite us to pray. So, Lord, we have not been the kind of people that we could have been. But we feel like we have heard you. And we move into this way of grace. We enter into this dance of conversation. We want to be faithful to give our land rest because it is good for us and it is good for our neighbor. So we ask that you would help us to grow in this grace. We ask that you would raise up people who can, through technology, can't care for our planet. Raise up people who, like, could be farmers that will provide us food. Raise up new entrepreneurs that find creative ways to care for the soil and replace, and replace that which we have destroyed. And help us to be good stewards by connecting us to one another, by connecting us to you, and by making us more aware. You said that if we would humble ourselves and pray, then you would heal us and you would heal our land. 
So we ask that you would do that. In the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen and amen. The deepest form of connectivity that I can think of is sharing a meal together. And as my friend Brad Bandy says, the world changes around tables. So this was Jesus's idea. And so we make it a priority every week here at our church. So Jesus invites us to his table as a way by which we get to participate as a practice in the new way of healing God's land and finding our own healing. So we come to this table. It's Jesus's table. Sometimes we call it communion. We do it because community happens here. And sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper because Jesus is the one who invites us to this table. And then sometimes we call it the Eucharist because Eucharist simply means thank you. And we're grateful when we come to this table. I really like that name. So I want to invite you to this table of thanks and this table of communion and this table that is offered to us by the cosmic Christ himself, the one who connects us all together and the one who holds this world together. So everyone who is open to believe and to put their trust in this cosmic Christ and to want to participate in his work and his rhythm and then who wants to participate in his way to bring rest and healing to our land, I want to invite you to this table. This is a table of grace So I invite you to leave the left side of your pew, come down the aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. And I want to do so reminding you that in his generosity, Jesus on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save, took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then after supper, he held up the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, the new promise, the new way of healing that comes in my blood. And I want you to drink this in affectionate remembrance of me. So I invite you to this table and to share in this meal. I want to let you know that we want no barriers. Our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic so that everyone who wants to participate can do so. So exit the left side. Come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. And make this your practice of participation in healing God's holy land. Friends, when you are ready, you may come to this table.